The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I invite you to open to Acts chapter 1 if you haven't done so already. Uh, Over the past few weeks, if you've been with us here at Shades, we've been singing a new song together uh, entitled, Is He Worthy? Uh, The lyrics to this song are actually taken straight out of Revelation chapter 5. And in Revelation chapter 5, what's happening is the Apostle John is having a vision of heaven. And there's a scroll that's sealed shut. It's written on front and back. The scroll represents the eternal plan of God for his people. And someone is sought who would be worthy to open the scroll. In other words, who would be worthy to execute, carry out the eternal plan of God. And John says that in all of heaven and all the earth and under the earth, no one was worthy. And John begins to weep until an angel says to him, wait, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when John turns and looks for a lion, he sees a lamb. A lamb who who has apparently been slain, and yet he stands. He's died, and yet he lives again. And as this lion-like lamb comes forward, all of heaven resounds with the words of Revelation 5 and verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Why is he worth Like, in all of heaven, on all the earth... Under the earth, no one worthy. Why is he worthy? You are worthy for you were slain. And by your blood, you purchased a people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is worthy. The the line of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain and lives again, Jesus is worthy to execute the plan of God, for he's the one who has secured the plan of God with his own blood. Bought it, purchased it, guaranteed it. He has purchased a people for God from every tribe, every language, every nation. That was the plan of God from eternity past into eternity future to purchase a people for himself. Jesus secured that plan, and so he is worthy And he's worthy to receive the worship of every person he's purchased. Do we believe that? That sentence. That Jesus is worthy to receive the worship of every person he purchased. Do do we believe that? That's the question that that song we sing asks over and over again. Is he worthy? Is he worthy to receive all blessing and honor and glory and power, all worship? Is he worthy of this? And we respond in the song, he is. Do we believe? Is that the answer that we we don't just say with our lips, but with our lives? With mission. This is why mission exists, because we believe that Jesus is worthy of the worship of every person he purchased. So we go to them, and we call them out. We call them to worship him, to praise him. This is why last week we began to talk about the future of mission at Shades. 
as church planting? Why are we praying and dreaming together about church planting? Because we believe that Jesus is worthy of more praise. We believe Jesus is worthy of the praise of more people than can fit in this room. Like we want to see more and more people come to know him, find their joy and eternal satisfaction in him. That, that's worship. We want to see more people come to worship him because he's worthy of this. He is. This is why, that's the only question we asked last week about church planting. Why? Why are we going to do it? Why do we want to do it? Why is this the future of Mission at Shades? This is why we believe it's the future of Missions at Shades. Because it aligns us with God's mission to save a people for himself, to savor him and enjoy him for forever. This is why this is our mission, because it's his mission. Church planting aligns us with the heart of God. It aligns us with the plan of the Father, the purpose of the Son, the power of the Spirit. It aligns us with the heart of God. So this is why this is the future of mission at Shades. And perhaps... Like, after we went through all of that, that's review, we're done with that, moving on. After we went through all of that last week, perhaps you left thinking, great! Like, that's awesome! But I've got like a million questions. Like, like what does this whole church planting thing look like? Where, where would we do this? How would we do this? Like, do we have the financial resources to do this? What if nobody wants to be a part of it? Like, what if we're all just cool being here at Shades, and nobody wants to go and be a part of a church plant? When is this happening anyway? You got a timeline. Like, and, and here's the deal. Your mind might have been swirling with all these questions, and all those questions are natural and normal. And my hope is between this week and next week, my hope is to begin answering some of those questions. And I put stress on begin. My hope is to begin answering these questions because, Shades, I don't have all the answers to these questions. Like, there is much about this whole thing that is, that is unknown. I, I believe we are just in the beginning stages of praying and dreaming about what it could look like to join God in the mission of spreading the gospel through church planting. I I think that last week, as, as we cracked open this conversation, some of you might have thought, man, I, I bet Jonathan and the elders, they've already developed a plan, and they're about to announce that we're planting a church like next week. I bet Jonathan's going to announce at the end of this thing that he's leaving to plant a church. I bet we're going to commission Brad out at the end of this thing to plant a church. No, no, no. Shades, I promise you, that's not where we are in the process. There's no secret plan that you don't know about. There is no hidden agenda, all right? I sat in an elders meeting this past week where they all looked at me like, so, what does this look like? It's not where we are in the process. I, I told you last week, I don't know if we're 10 months away from this or 10 years away from this, and I mean that. I, I don't. This series is not an invitation for you to be involved with a plan we've already made. No, this, this series is an invitation for you to be involved in praying, dreaming about what a plan could look like. Through this series, I am simply aiming, my, my aim is simply to lay a biblical foundation 
for church planning. We're going to have to pray and dream together about what it looks like to build on that foundation. Our goal is just to lay a biblical foundation. So for the rest of this morning, let's keep laying that foundation for church planting. Let me, let me try to begin answering a couple of our questions that are stirring in our hearts. And, and we're going to do that today by looking at another big picture question about church planting. Last week we asked why, why planting. This week I want us to ask where. Where, like, where is this whole planting thing supposed to take place? And I don't mean where, as in, like, what particular area of town or neighborhood or what street address? No, like I, like I just told you, we don't have a plan like that in place. Remember, this, this is about laying a biblical foundation. I want to know what does Scripture say about where we should pursue the mission of church planting? And I think that we can begin to answer that question in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It's the only verse we're going to look at this morning. Last week, we explored the surrounding context of this. I hope you remember most of it. I'll clue you in on just a little bit. We know that the words Jesus speaks right here happen after his resurrection and just before his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Like These are his final words to his disciples while he is physically present with them. And what we see is we see that he's promising to empower them, not just for anything, but for the mission to which he's calling them, which is to be his witnesses, to go and proclaim who he is, what he's done, to call out his people to believe in him, and then form them into communities of called out people, form them into ecclesias. That's the Greek word for church. It means called out ones. Form them into a community of called out people. Jesus promises to empower them for this mission, this mission to plant churches. That's what it is. That's how it unfolds in the rest of Acts. And so we can say to that, awesome, great, you've promised, this is the call, this is the direction, you're going to empower us for this, but where do we do this? Like, we've got the plan, Jesus, but, but where do we execute it? Jesus is glad we asked, because that's exactly what he illumines in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Look at it with me. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. That's the plan that I'm empowering you for. Where? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus lists three areas, kind of four, but Judea and Samaria really go together. We'll talk about how in a little bit. But he primarily lists three areas where they're to be his Witnesses call out his people into called out communities, plant churches. They're to do it in Jerusalem, Judea slash Samaria, and the end of the earth. This verse, honestly, like it could really serve as a table of contents for the rest of the book of Acts. Like chapters 1 through 7 cover church planting in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 cover church planting in Judea, Samaria. And chapter 13 to 28 covers church planting to the end of the earth. This is the plan he's setting in place, and it's exactly the way it's going to unfold. Jesus gives his disciples a where. actually gives them wares. And I believe that he has given us the same wares that he gave to them. We are to carry out the mission of establishing called-out communities in our own Jerusalem, our own Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Great. What does that mean? What does that look like for the rest of our time? Let's take each of these three areas one at a time. So 
first. Planting begins in our own Jerusalem. Planting begins in our own Jerusalem. What do I mean by that? Jerusalem is where Jesus' disciples were. Like presently, geographically, that's the city that they were located in. Jesus tells them, start where you are. Like plant churches here. I've got you here for a reason. Your mission starts here. Jesus is saying to them, I've got people here. Call them out. Be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. And with all of these places, shades, with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, I don't think Jesus uses any of those terms just geographically. Yes, that, but also relationally. What I mean by that, in other words, Jerusalem is, yes, their geographical location, start where you are geographically, but also start where you know the most people relationally. This is where their families are, their friends, their co-workers. Like he's saying, start with those you know who need to know me. Those you know who need to know Christ. Christ calls his disciples to begin their church planting mission where they are in Jerusalem. Shades, I believe he calls us to begin in our own Jerusalem. Our own city. We begin in Birmingham. God's placed us in Birmingham for a reason. Like we're not here by, by accident. Not just geographically, but relationally. It's not an accident that you are in the relationships you're in with the people you know who need to know Christ. God has sovereignly placed us geographically and relationally in Birmingham, Alabama. This is where planting begins for us. And here's the deal, like, as soon as I say that, I can feel the objections rising in the room. They're the same ones that enter into my own heart. Like the primary central objection is, but Jonathan, doesn't Birmingham have enough churches? Like, isn't there a church on, on every street corner? I mean, that's not just true of Birmingham. Couldn't we say that's true of our country in general, like America? Aren't we over-churched? Don't we have enough churches Shouldn't our church planting efforts be aimed elsewhere? Well, uh, the North American Mission Board has actually done the math on this. Uh, they've calculated the church-to-population ratio. They haven't just done this for the present, they've done it for the past, and there's some interesting trends that you can notice. They did this with the numbers from the United States Census Bureau. And if you go back to the year 1900, so 120 years ago, there were 28 churches in America for every 10,000 people. Every 10,000 citizens, roughly 28 churches. Nine years ago, 2010, most recent census, there were roughly 11 churches for every 10,000 people. 17 less per 10,000. And, and something you have to wrap into your calculations as you think about those number shades is, is this is including all churches, anyone who would call themselves a church. Like this isn't just Protestant, gospel-centered, gospel-proclaiming churches. So this would include Unitarian Universalists. This would include... The Catholic Church, this would include Protestant churches that deny the resurrection of Jesus and pretty much say the gospel is nothing but 
Jesus helps you be a better person. Like, this includes all of that. And you might, you might hear those numbers, you might want to push back and be like, Jonathan, there's no way that's true. There's got to be more churches in America now than there were in the year 1900. That's correct. There are more churches. It's just that the number of churches isn't the only thing that's grown. The population has also grown, and it's grown at a much faster rate than we have planted churches. It would have been more true in 1900 to say there's a church on every street corner than it is now. We're not trending in the direction of having too many churches. And you might think, okay, all right, Jonathan, but that's a national average. We are in the deep south. Like we're in Birmingham. We got to have like a higher church to population ratio than that. We do. We do, obviously, yeah. But Shades, if every single citizen of Birmingham, Alabama, woke up this morning and said, I want to go to a church, once again, we are including all churches in Birmingham. We're not even talking about gospel-proclaiming churches. If every single citizen said, I want to go to a church this morning, we would have room for 25% of them. 75% of our city, roughly, couldn't even get in a door. There is much left to be done in our mission in Birmingham. And please, please, Shades, hear, hear my heart and what I'm about to say. The, the mindset that says we have too many churches, that's rooted in a business model marketplace mindset that thinks in terms of marketplace saturation. It's not a biblical mindset. I, I would argue that Habakkuk 2.14 gives us a picture of how God thinks about market saturation. In Habakkuk 2.14, the prophet looks towards the end goal of the mission. And he says this, the mission will be complete when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do you know how the waters cover the sea? Completely. It's not a dry spot left. Let's aim to saturate Birmingham, Alabama with the gospel like that. Let's, let's be like my young son, Asher, who not that long ago undertook a mission to color every spot in our dining room. I have video evidence of this. Asher, what did you do? I got this one, this one, eight, yeah, colored everywhere. You can't hear him. He was saying, I did this one and this one and this one and this one. Shades, oh, if only that was the only time he had done it. But he didn't get every last spot, so he did it again. Notice, he's in a different outfit here. This is a different day. If only that was the last time. He did it again. <laughs> Rather proud. 
He takes a lot of joy in trying to cover every single stinking spot. There were more spots left to get. Shades, may we take joy. May we want to color every spot of Birmingham with the gospel that badly. Until the knowledge of the glory of God covers this place like the waters cover the sea. I am totally great with a gospel-proclaiming church being on every street corner. I pray, Lord, make it so. Planting begins in our own Jerusalem for us in Birmingham. Secondly, secondly, planting extends to our Judea and Samaria. Planting extend, it begins in our Jerusalem, but it extends to our Judea and Samaria. So for the disciples whom Jesus is talking to, Judea and Samaria, those are the regions surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a city in that district. You could think of like in the rest of the the country. In fact, Judea and Samaria are actually part of one political entity. So this is Jesus pointing to the rest of the country. He tells the disciples, I want you to start in your city, but I don't want you to stay there. Your mission is going to extend out to the rest of the country. You're going to go out, calling out throughout the entire country, people into called out communities, into churches, plant churches everywhere that I take you. This isn't just geographical, this is also relational. Plant them among the rest of your your countrymen. We saw this happen last week. If you remember last week in Acts chapter 8, we saw, the, uh, we saw, not the disciples, excuse me, the rest of the church left Jerusalem. It may have taken persecution, but they scattered into all of Judea and Samaria. And everywhere that they scattered, they also scattered the gospel and churches were planted. I, I've seen this kind of thing happen in our own country with our own churches. You probably have seen this as well or know people who've done this as well. I've seen God place a burden on the hearts of several people within a church for a particular place, a particular city where, where they don't have as many churches as we have in Birmingham, where the gospel's not as heavily present or proclaimed. I've seen God bring together families, place a burden on their heart, and I've I've seen them sell everything, change jobs, and move together as a group and plant a church for the sake of spreading the gospel in this way. I've watched it happen. We've seen God do something similar in our own body. He's called out people from our body to various places for the purpose of mission. We haven't seen it specifically happen for the purpose of church planting yet. But I do believe, Shades, I do believe that the call of God to be involved in church planting will eventually take us beyond the bounds of Birmingham. I believe that. How will that happen? What will it look like? I I, I got no idea. But the biblical pattern of church planting is one that spreads from your Jerusalem to your Judea. It has to. Like when we align ourselves with the plan of God like this for the purposes of Christ and experience the power of the Spirit and we see people coming to Christ, coming into his called out community, people saved, lives transformed, that stirs up joy and we just want to see it more. People being saved, that's like Christian crack, people. People being saved. I've, I've, I've never, never done crack. I'm just assuming by analogy 
from the stories I've been told. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I believe that we will see it happen here at Shades. And I think, I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think that we may first see it happen in our Samaria. I'm not sure. No, I am sure. I am sure you noticed because I pointed it out a little bit earlier. Jesus lists these two areas together. Judea and Samaria. Why does he list them together? Because, as we've already said at this point, Samaria is technically, politically, a part of Judea. So why the need to point it out specifically? Why the need to mention it all? Why not just say Judea? The reason, the answer to that is a historic answer, and it lies in 2 Kings 17. We're not going to turn back there, but if you do flip back there later today, you'll be flipping back roughly 700 years and in 2 Kings chapter 17, the situation in the nation of Israel at the time is that the nation's divided in half into two kingdoms, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is often referred to as the kingdom of Samaria. And that kingdom in the year 722 B.C. falls to the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians come in and they take the overwhelming majority of the population of Samaria and they exile them all throughout the empire. And then they import people from all sorts of places throughout the empire into that area to resettle it. And those people from all of those nations that resettle Samaria, they end up intermarrying with the Jews that are left there. They don't just intermarry, they intermingle faiths. And so what you end up getting in Samaria is this distorted version of Judaism. And the southern kingdom is so anti what has happened in Samaria that you can read in places like Ezra chapter 4. In Ezra chapter 4, the southern kingdom's rebuilding the temple. Samaria offers to help. They say, thanks, but no thanks. You've, you've betrayed the faith. You've intermingled the faith. And this bitter hostility begins to brew. And it just gets stronger and more pronounced year after year because this cycle of what's happened with Samaria keeps happening. Foreigners keep moving in, keep intermingling. Faith keeps intermingling. So that by the time you get to the pages of the New Testament, we read in John chapter 4, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. None. So now we may be able to see why Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, and yes, that includes Samaria. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about there too. Don't, shades, don't just understand these terms geographically, but relationally. Jesus is saying, as you spread the gospel throughout your country, you don't just go to your fellow countrymen who you share a culture in common with. No, no, go to those that you would otherwise actively avoid or those that you would passively ignore. Go to those cultures within your culture that are different than yours. Ed Stetzer, church planning guru, he, he says that Samaria may accurately be seen as a different culture living in our culture. A different culture living in our Judea. And Jesus looks at that and he says, you be my witnesses there. Call out my people there. Plant churches there. So the question becomes, Shades, what is our Samaria? Different cultures living within our culture that we either actively avoid or passively ignore because they're a little too different for us to connect with. Might I suggest that our Samaria are the immigrant communities living in our midst. 
minorities whose first language is not our own, whose history is not our own, whose culture is not our own, whose dress is not our own, whose food is not our own. Even though food tends to be the only access point at which we're comfortable connecting. We'll eat your food. They're, they're too different for us to connect. Shades, the, the fastest growing minority in Homewood, and actually in all of Birmingham, is the Asian community. It's the fastest growing minority community in our, our midst. And here in Homewood, I don't know if you know this, but we actually have two massive Asian marketplaces grocery stores, one over here on Green Springs, one back behind us, like right within throwing distance of us, two massive marketplaces that apparently do well. Zero churches. Not any that I can find. No, no evangelical churches aimed at, at reaching these, these people. And what I mean when I, when I say that we have no church, I mean, obviously, we have many churches, and all of our churches are open to anyone. We would say that about shades. But when I say there's no church, I mean there's no churches that speak their native language. Like many within the Asian community and the, the large Hispanic community within our midst, many of them are first-generation immigrants. And English is not their first language. And so attending, even those that can communicate English, the, the idea of attending uh, an English-speaking congregation, much less trying to understand and actively engage, is intimidating. It can be very difficult. If you talk to our missionaries that are on the ground in Southeast Asia, they'll tell you that one of the most difficult things they have, one of the most difficult things they've struggled with is finding a church community to connect with. Because while they partially understand the language of the place that they're in, it's very difficult to go in and to connect and to be a part of, of a community where it's, it's not your first language. It can be intimidating. It can be difficult. And Shades, what, what an opportunity. I mean, here are unreached people groups in our midst that need the gospel. Could we dream about, could we, could we pray about what, what it would be like to come alongside an Asian church planter? Speaks the language, knows the culture, is a part of the history, a, a Hispanic church planter, and empower them, invest in them, and see a new community planted in our own Samaria. This is what Paul did. When Paul would go into a new place and a new culture, Paul had the fortunate ability of speaking many different languages. But when he would set up a church, he would install native leadership. He wouldn't bring Jews from Jerusalem to lead a church in Corinth. He'd set it up with Corinthian leadership, with people who understood the history, the culture, the, the language, and he would invest in them and empower them. What would it be like to to do this and, and see new communities birth within our own Samaria and, and thus be able to build relationships with those in our own Samaria because we would have the greatest thing in common, Christ. And it would blow open 
a brilliant, God-glorifying witness to what the gospel accomplishes. The ability to connect people who otherwise could not be connected, to bind them together with the strongest bonds, that of brother and sister in Christ. I felt this. I've experienced this. You go into another country, into another context, where you don't relate to the culture. You can't speak the language. You don't understand the customs. And you put yourself in the midst of a group of believers from that place, and you're home. And you feel it. And you know it. And you look at one another. And you can't even talk, but you can talk. What would it be like to build relationships with those in our own Samaria because we have Christ in common? In all of Birmingham, so not just Homewood, but in all of Birmingham, I could only find three evangelical Asian churches, uh, one Chinese church and two Korean. I, I couldn't, in all of Homewood, find any evangelical Hispanic churches. I could find Hispanic ministries, but Shades, I'm... I'm not talking about us starting a ministry that would be subsumed under us. I'm talking about investing and empowering and commissioning a community that's equal with us. A full-fledged church of brothers and sisters. I really believe that the call of God to be involved in church planting is going to take us beyond the bounds of what we think of as Birmingham, and I think that just might happen first in our Samaria. So planting begins in our own Jerusalem, and it extends to our Judea and Samaria. Third and final thing, planting ends at the end of the earth. Planting ends at the end of the earth. So from Acts chapter 13 onward, the gospel is, is headed beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria. It's headed every place that believers can take it. And why? Because that's the direction that Christ pointed them in. He said, the end of the earth, aim at that. I'm going to start you here, wind you up like a top, and I'm pointing you towards the end of the earth. Begin here. Go there. Witness everywhere in between. Churches commissioned out throughout the book of Acts, churches commissioned out missionaries like Paul, who we've already talked about. And Paul's missionary strategies he went was to go, to share the gospel, call out people, form a called out community, a church. Paul planted churches. And if you just read throughout Paul's letters, what you'll discover is that his church planting mission was made possible by local churches, just like ours. It was a local church in Antioch that commissioned him out. It was local churches like Philippi that kept him supported while he was in prison. It was local churches like Rome that aimed to send him on his missionary spreading journey. Paul was supported by local churches just like ours. He was supported spiritually, he was supported physically, and he was supported financially. A great place, one of the greatest places in Scripture to see the example of this is Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, I'm going to read starting in verse 24. Just listen to what Paul says to the local church in Rome. He says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped by you on my journey there. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. 
Verse 28, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Paul writes to the church at Rome asking for spiritual support. Pray for me. I ask you to strive with me, praying to God on my behalf. Pray for me. He asks for physical support. He says, I'm I'm coming to you to enjoy your company and be refreshed. It was often the practice of these churches to send people with Paul on his journey so that this could happen along the way or to send people to Paul wherever he was. That's the entire reason you've got the letter of Philippians in your Bible. Because the church at Philippi sent a man named Epaphroditus to go see Paul in jail in Rome. To support him. To encourage him. This is is short-term mission trips. They supported him physically and they supported him financially. Paul says, I'm writing to be helped by you to get to Spain. That's a monetary request. It's not the only one that Paul makes in Scripture. Spiritual help, physical help, financial help, all aimed at getting him to Spain. Why? Why does Paul want to go to Spain so badly? He tells us in Romans 15 and verse 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. I want to go where Christ has not yet been named. It means where he's not yet known, where he's not yet worshipped. I want to go to unreached peoples, and I want to call out his people. I want to go and I want to plant churches. Paul is pointed towards the end of the earth, and shades, so are we. God has put us in Birmingham for a reason, and he's pointed us towards the nations for a reason. I believe that reason is church planting among unreached peoples. This this is the aim of our global missions at at Shades. This is where we're pouring the majority of our spiritual, physical, and financial resources for global mission. We are are praying to see churches planted amongst unreached people groups. We are physically going and taking teams to support our missionaries, working in these areas so that they may enjoy our company, be refreshed, not burn out, support their work. And we are investing financially to see the gospel spread where Jesus is not yet named. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy to receive the praise of every person he purchased. And by his blood, he didn't just purchase people in Birmingham. By his blood, he's purchased a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we go to them. We go to the end of the earth until the earth ends. Matthew 24 and verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is the mission. Let's finish the mission. Shades, church planting is the future of our mission until the end of the mission. And we may not have all the answers about what this looks like, but Shades, we know this much. We know where God has placed us and where he has aimed us. We have, we, we've been called to plant beginning in our own Jerusalem, Birmingham, extending 
to our Judea and Samaria and ending at the ends of the earth. Let's pray in that direction, Shades. Let's, let's dream together in that direction. Let's trust in that direction for he is worthy. He is worthy.